All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Burquist. So I'm coming in this week with another banking update. Uh, I think as the podcast continues to evolve, I think a couple of things are going to happen. I think that uh, the banking updates, I think, are good because it's it's I think this is going to try to I'm going to try to turn this into the main way that I just give overall industry rundowns. And then I'm going to try to have, you know, episodes that are more focused on specific things. For example, like I just did an episode uh, that I posted today on, uh, like it was a review of a, of a documentary from Netflix on scandals, all about a company called Wirecard. Um, that I, like, so things like that, I think as I do like book reviews, movie reviews, talk about specific banking issues and things that come up, uh, those will all have their own kind of separate issues, but I think I'm going to use the banking update as kind of the main platform for just going over general banking news, following up on certain things, just talking about stuff like that. And I think as things evolve throughout the rest of the year, that this might turn into some kind of a, a you know, it might even turn into like a live stream, a weekly, you know, kind of live stream update at some point, and it might might become the uh, eventually morph into the flagship. Uh, show, if you will, or flagship part of the of the channel uh, as we move along. Uh, but we'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, we'll see how things uh, you know go along. I am gonna uh, experiment with some some live streaming in the next couple of months and and kind of see how that goes. But uh, but for right now, I'm just gonna continue doing these these banking updates. And I may not necessarily do one of these every week, uh, but I'm gonna try to get to them as as often as I can because, like I said, I think it's a good format for just going over a lot of things. Uh, very quickly. So with that, I'm going to bring this in here. So let's get a rundown. So a lot, a lot of stuff happening right now. And I'm going again, I'm going, going rapid fire here with all this stuff. So, uh, so Jamie Dimon got a pay raise. Uh, Jamie Dimon's pay went up to 36 million up from 34.5 million in 2022. Uh, people at uh, JP Morgan Chase are, they love them some JB Dimon. They're, uh, so they're decided he, he needed to get some more money there. So Acting controller of the currency, Michael Hugh, uh, he called for more requirements to ensure midsize and large banks have sufficient liquidity in times of stress and better classification for potential deposit outflows. I'm gonna, I've got an article. I'm going to talk about a little bit of that, about that more in a minute. Uh, Robinhood Financial agreed to pay $7.5 million fine and change its digital engagement practices to settle charges from Massachusetts Secretary of the Commonwealth, William Galvin, over the online trading platform's use of gamification strategies to lure customers. If anybody saw the movie review that I did on uh, Dumb Money, uh, I talked a little bit in that about how I didn't like Robinhood. I didn't like what they were doing because of exactly this, because they were using gamification to try to target, you know, teenage young 20 type individuals who are who are into gaming and basically use that as in a way to get them into stock trading and kind of get them even addicted if you will to, to stock trading so you know they had to pay a seven point million dollar five seven point five million dollar fine which is kind of a pittance to them but uh but oh well at least at least it brings some light to the issue and so um Okay, so uh, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved for the first time a spot Bitcoin ETF in the country. U.S. asset managers are now looking to launch exchange, exchange traded funds with leveraged Bitcoin exposure and expand into Bitcoin based options and other cryptocurrencies. 
Um, let's see here. And to follow up on that, so Bitcoin exchange funded drew, funds drew nearly $1 billion in investor money in the first two days of trading. Uh, citing CoinShares data, grayscale investments had outflows of $579 million as investors turned to BlackRock and Fidelity for new crypto products. According to the report, BlackRock and Fidelity had the lion's share of ETF issuers, uh, total inflows of $984 million, obtaining $508 million and $442 million, respectively. PNC Financial Services Group anticipates that deposit rates for commercial and high net worth clients will drop fast as soon as the first Federal Reserve interest rate cut appears. We shall see. NASDAQ CEO uh, Adina Friedman said 2024 will be a busy year for initial public offerings with over 80 companies set to go public. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on some of that. The U.S. Central Bank can lower federal fund interest rates this year as long as inflation doesn't rebound and stay elevated, Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller said in a speech to the Brookings Institute. Um, Genesis Global Trading will pay an $8 million penalty to New York due to alleged appliance, uh, comp uh, appliance compliance failures that violated the virtual currency and cybersecurity regulations of New York State Department of Financial Services. Uh, several stock market trading platforms, including Robinhood, Webull, Acorns, SoFi Technologies, and Interactive Brokers have allowed customers to trade spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds on their platforms following the SEC's approval of 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, Federal Reserve logged an operating loss of $114.3 billion in 2023, compared with a net income of $58.8 billion in 2022, according to the central bank's preliminary financial information for 2023. The annual operating loss of $114 billion is the largest ever for the Fed. Stablecoin Tether has become one of the leading payment methods of fraudsters and money launderers operating in Southeast Asia, according to a report by the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime. So, okay, so there's the highlights. Now we'll dig into a couple uh, other things here. So the CFPB, um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau on January 17th, advanced a proposal to rein in overdraft fees, charging banks with more than $10 billion in uh, yeah, charged, I should say charged by banks with more than 10 billion assets. Uh, I'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, and let's see here. The Banking Policy Institute, Financial Services Forum, Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce issued a joint statement January 12th asking federal bank regulators to rescind and repurpose the Basel III endgame capital proposal, which they said would violate the Administrative Procedure Act in its current form. So in other words, um, a lot of people starting to push back on the uh, Basel III endgame which is basically new capital and liquidity rules being pushed upon banks, mainly the larger banks, banks with a hundred billion or more in asset size. That's really what they're going for. Um, just an updated note on the Fed's uh, term funding program. Uh, so borrowings from the Fed's uh, Fed bank uh, term funding program and the discount window increased in the week ending January 17th. Um, the bank term funding program borrowings totaled $161.5 billion in the week ended January 17th, a jump from $147 billion in the previous week. Borrowings from the discount window increased to $2.29 billion from $2.11 billion the prior week. So uh, one of the things I discussed in last week's market update was the fact that the Fed is looking to potentially end 
this facility uh, coming up real soon. And then, and, and not only that, uh, they're, you know, banks are kind of playing this facility a little bit, kind of using it to their advantage, so to speak. Uh, I, I, you know, I did another episode where I said, you know, basically last week where I said, will the Fed uh, decrease interest rates? So definitely, you know, check that out when you have a minute. So what are some of the big things coming up this week? So we've got the two-year Treasury note auctions coming up on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we have the five-year Treasury note auction. And then on Thursday, we have the seven-year Treasury note auction. So definitely need to keep an, uh, an, uh, keep an eye out on those Treasury auctions just, just to see how they go. See if, you know, if this debt is getting, uh, is getting sold the, the way that it should be. Uh, also on Thursday, a number of things come up. We got building permits. We have continuing jobless claims. Uh, GDP is going to be coming out. We also have initial jobless claims. So a lot of uh, so we've got some uh, labor market information there. Um, new home sales will be coming out, and then on Friday we get another inflation measure with the PCE. Uh, the core core PCE price index will be coming out as long as along with uh, personal spending and pending home sales. So between building permits and pending home sales, we got some home information, uh, mortgage market information coming out here. So let's see here, what else we got here? Uh, okay, so we got uh, BlackRock's Spot Bitcoin ETF now holds more than 1 billion worth of Bitcoin. Uh, BlackRock Spot ETF or IBIT held more than 1 billion in Bitcoin just five days after it began trading. Um, consumer sentiment surges higher. Uh, again, as inflation fears fade, the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index jumped to 78.8 in January, surging 13% from the previous month and blowing by analyst estimates. It's the second month of sharp improvement in the sentiment, marking the index's best turnaround since 1991. Consumers feel much better about the economy, with inflation expectations falling to their lowest point since December of 2020. Consumers are feeling much better about inflation in the economy than they did just two months ago as a leading consumer confidence sur survey surged higher again in January. Well, um, maybe <laughs> we'll just, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. Um, okay. A couple things on the housing front. So the housing market froze deeper in December. So home sales slumped 1% in December from November, hitting the lowest since 2010. The slump represents the effects of high mortgage rates, which hit their highest in decades in late October when contracts for December's home sales were being signed. The recent decline in home mortgage rates uh, could help push affordability and sales higher in the new year. Um, I know it said that, but I believe, yeah, let's see here. So all in all, home sales in 2023 were the slowest since 1995, uh, when there were fewer houses and a lower population. Um, so, yeah, housing market, housing sales not really doing super great at the moment. So new housing construction dipped in December as permits rose. So housing starts in December came in 4.3% lower than the prior month. Uh, when they surged 11%, but were 7.6% higher than the same month last year, the 1.46 million housing starts rate was better than the 1.43 million reading than analysts expected. And rising building permits indicate builders plan more construction as activity remains near pre-pandemic levels. Um, so again, keep an eye on construction, keep an eye on how things are going. Um, 
Okay, let's keep things moving along here. Uh, okay, so interesting thing here. So the OCC issued a bulletin with a compliance date change for May of 2028. Now, what this is, is the Securities and Exchange Commission has adopted final rules that shorten the standard settlement cycle for most broker-dealer transactions from the second business day after the trade date, which is known as T plus two, to the first business day after the trade date, which is T plus one. The compliance date for this change is May 28th. Uh, banks should prepare to meet the applicable timeframes for the T1 settlement cycle for trades related to bank securities activities. These include activities related to banks investment and trading portfolios, security settlement and providing banks uh, <clears throat> to custody to banks custody and fiduciary accounts. So why is this important? So going back to February 15th, the SEC adopted amendments to Rule 15C 6-1 that shortened the standard settlement cycle for most broker-dealer transactions from T plus 2 to T plus 1. This is the SEC's latest move to shorten the U.S. settlement cycle after a move in 2017 from three business days after the trade to T plus 3 to T plus 2. In addition, on May 25th, 2023, the SEC approved a similar rule changed by the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board to the settlement cycle for municipal securities. These rule changes are designed to reduce the credit market and liquidity risks in securities transactions. So um, basically, as technology has continued to advance, uh, the standard time to settle a securities transaction, like in other words, if you buy a piece of stock, the typical turnaround time on the settlement of that transaction was actually three days. So so in actuality, say you were on, um, uh, what am I thinking of? So if you were on Charles Schwab and you bought a stock, you would see that stock purchase almost instantaneously. Like if you did it, a, if you did like a, I don't know, like a limit market order and you bought the stock and you, you, you owned it on your screen, you would be seeing it. However, in the background, it would still take three days for that transaction to settle. That was up until 2017, and then they changed it to two days. Now they're changing it to one day. So again, something that broker-dealers you know, have to deal with, banks have to deal with um, on the investment side of the house as they're doing with that, but still a very interesting thing to note. I mean, basically, so securities transactions are going to get settled on the back end of things a lot quicker. Uh, that's going to, you know, hopefully keep things kind of moving along, um, but definitely something that, you know, uh, people on Wall Street and people on the investment side have to have to deal with. So, okay. Um, so basically, uh, Shares cool after the big four banks uh, recorded their fourth quarter 2023 earnings. Um, basically, their credit provision expenses were mostly up, but their their results were solid. You know, the market had a little bit of a mixed reaction. Um, stocks were still relatively calm in the most part. I mean, basically nothing um, nothing catastrophic happened. I mean, their net interest margin, net interest margins were, you know, continuing to be compressed a little bit, but that was also starting to subside a tad in the fourth quarter. And uh, and basically the, the the name of the game right now is on, on two big things. It's loan growth and credit quality. Like in other words, are you seeing a deterioration in your credit quality? Uh, so they, uh, again, three of the four big banks, I think aside from Bank of America, they did increase their their um, credit provisions, which is basically their credit loss um, in the anticipation that their, their the quality of their credit portfolio, particularly in commercial real estate, could deteriorate. But 
like I said, we will keep an eye on that. But so far, so good. I mean, fourth quarter earnings weren't too bad. So what else we got here? Uh, <clears throat> Fulton Financial. Uh, Fulton Financial Court, which is headquartered in Lancaster, PA. It's a $27 billion asset bank. They are apparently are out on the prowl. They are looking to acquire banks between $1 billion and $15 billion. Uh, M&T Bank, a very large bank based in Buffalo, New York. Uh, they, they reported that they had a $12.6 billion in billion dollars in total criticized loans at the end of 2023, the uh, fourth quarter, which was a 13.5% increase from the end of the prior year. The jump was tied to a detailed review of the company's credit book. About 18% of the increase in criticized loans was driven by healthcare, uh, while 13% was due to multifamily and 9% was retail commercial real estate. M&T has reviewed about 60% of its commercial real estate por portfolio and found that valuations have declined by an average of about 20%. Commercial real estate loans made up about 25% of M&T's total loans at the end of 2023. For the healthcare sector, reimbursement issues are causing stress. Um, yeah, healthcare, healthcare issues, uh, healthcare markets having problems. I don't know if you've... you've uh, taken a look at things recently, but um, hospitals are not doing so great. Hospitals around the U.S. are having a lot of problems. Um, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I worry greatly about our um, kind of our healthcare system right now. They really seem to be um, on the brink right now. Not, and it's not just hospitals, but you've got uh, kind of ambulance associations, um, volunteer fire companies. You got a lot, a lot of different things struggling right now at the moment. Um, but hospitals are just a big one. I mean, I, I worry that we could see um, an issue with, with hospital failures in 2024 because of the underlying issues going on in that industry. But we'll, but, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll kind of come back to that. So, okay. Moving on here. So New Jersey-based uh, Princeton Bancorp, uh, they bought an in-state peer, Cornerstone Financial. So, uh, Princeton, New Jersey-based Princeton Bancorp, the parent uh, company of Bank of Princeton, agreed to acquire Mount Laurel, New Jersey-based Cornerstone Financial Corp., the parent company of Cornerstone Bank, and a deal valued at about $17.9 million. The transaction is expected to close in the third quarter. So let's move down here into the last slide. So uh, so credit unions kick off 2024 with record a record-breaking bank buys. If you go back, I did an episode last year on credit unions buying banks. Um, and this was kind of a big one to kick off. And, and, and this, this is an issue in my mind, this is a very big issue because credit unions do not pay income tax. Um, and it, you know, whereas banks do, so there's a tax advantage there. There's some other things, but so, but let me just read this for a second here. So, um, Hudson Valley Credit Union kicked off the new year with this acquisition of Catskill Hudson Bank Corp subsidiary Catskill Hudson Bank marking the first time a New York-based bank was targeted by a credit union and the 10th largest credit union bank deal ever based on target assets. But that deal was quickly overshadowed the very next day when Global FCU announced its acquisition of First Financial Northwest Inc. subsidiary First Financial Northwest Bank, breaking multiple records. With $1.53 billion in assets as of September 30th, First Financial Northwest Bank is the largest bank targeted by a credit union ever and the first bank with more than $1 billion in assets set to be acquired by a credit union. First Financial Northwest Bank is also the first bank with a holding company publicly traded on a major exchange to be targeted in an acquisition by a credit union. Uh, moreover, 
with 11.84 billion with 11.84 billion in assets at the end of the third quarter of 2023 global fcu is the largest credit union to strike a bank deal ever following the acquisition the credit union will have more than 13 billion in assets uh based on glow s&p global market intelligence data and with the sheer size of the two bank targets involved in credit union deals announced so far this year in 2024 has already surpassed last year's total targeted assets with just two deal announcements. Now, again, this is why this is such a problem. So you now have global FCU credit union, which is going to have more than 13 billion in assets. Um, in my mind, at that point, I mean, when you've got a credit union that's that big, it's not a credit union anymore. It's a bank. Okay, it's it's a it's a bank. It's it's got thirteen billion dollars in assets. That's a sizable bank. Um, um, yeah. I, again, I, I think there just needs to be a whole conversation around what is a credit union. What is a credit union? So now that credit union, with thirteen billion dollars in assets, you know, we're going to be generating a tremendous amount of of net income every year. And uh, there's a whole lot of taxes not going to get paid on that money. So I think there just needs to be a conversation there about what are credit unions? What is their role? Uh, how are we defining the size, shape and scope of a credit union? And at what point do we need to say these guys need to start paying taxes? Uh, and I, I just think that's a uh, that's a conversation that, that needs to be needs to be had. So, OK, what uh, last couple articles here? So. The UCC's HUE uh, recommends new five-day liquidity framework. So, so HUE, speaking January 18th during a speech at Columbia Law School, noted the characteristics of a bank run have changed and that the industry needs to adapt. He called for a new measure used by regulators that would aim to ensure midsize and large banks have sufficient liquidity to cover rapid outflows of deposits over five days. Um, the denominator should consider the potential speed and severity of uninsured deposit outflows, while the numerator should consider the liquidity value of pre-position uh, discount window collateral in addition to reserves. So he goes on to basically talk about in his speech about kind of like uninsured deposits, uh, the Federal Reserve discount window and how there's kind of a, sta a stigma there with banks using that. Um, I think he's actually got some good ideas here about some of the things that he wants to do and wants to address. Uh, I'm actually working on uh, a potential interview where I'm going to bring uh, hopefully somebody on to kind of address this issue as it were, and just talk about kind of bank liquidity, uh, different, you know, to bank deposits in, in a general sense and, and talk about how banks might be able to, to deal with this. So, so more, so more on that to come. So next thing, so we talked about big bank earnings. Now we're talking about, about the U.S. regional banks uh, had their fourth quarter earnings. And they and it basically says here they were plagued by muted loan growth and worsening credit. So most U.S. regional banks are expected to report lower quarter over quarter and year over year earnings with analysts predicting muted loan growth and deteriorating credit quality. Credit quality has been relatively stable for several quarters, though the market is growing increasingly wary of an impending downturn. Uh, equity analysts are torn on whether the fourth quarter will show widespread credit deterioration or only see a few one-off situations. Uh, credit remains quite good, and despite the street uh, starting to bake in normalization of net charge-offs and some reserve building, management commentary and economic forecasts do not signal a material uptick 
and either at this point. So loan growth is expected to be bleak in the fourth quarter of 2023, with most, an most analysts expecting muted growth for the industry. Loan growth, we expect, should be muted given softening pipelines owing to uh, lower loan demand, given higher rates. And deposit growth, as we, uh, we expect, should be stable given banks aren't pushing as hard to grow deposits. Uh, so what does that mean in a nutshell? Basically, uh, banks loan growth for regional banks, uh, loan growth is muted. Uh, they had to put, they've had to put away more money for bad loans and they're worried about a deterioration in the, in the credit quality. Furthermore, uh, the amount of money they have to pay out on deposits, their, i.e. their funding costs are going up, which is squeezing, they're putting what's called a compression on their net interest margin. And uh, so that's kind of what's going on there in a nutshell uh, with, with, the, with the regional banks. So um, have to keep on eye on a lot of stuff there. We'll have to see how a lot of things play out here in 2024. Um, CFPB intensifies overdraft crackdown with proposal to limit fees. So the CFPB on January 17th proposed a rule to limit the amount of overdraft fee income banks with more than $10 billion in assets can bring in. It is seeking to cap how much banks can charge a customer per overdraft to either $3, $6, or $14, compared to the typical fee of $30, $35, according to the proposal. The agency will finalize the overdraft fee cap uh, based on public comments, which are due by April 1st. Alternatively, a bank could calculate its own fee to break even, dubbed the break-even standard in the proposal. Under the proposed rule, banks with more than 10 billion assets would also have to treat overdraft loans like they do credit cards and all other loans by providing proper disclosures under the Truth and Lending Act. Other information that banks would have to disclose to customers include interest rates and fees. Uh, the agency anticipates the rule to be effective October 2025. So I am going to come back and I'm going to do a whole episode on bank overdraft fees because it's an important topic to talk about. Um, and I think there are pros and cons on both sides of it. But I, I'll, like I said, I will get into that later. So uh, and then finally, uh, the bill is coming due on a record amount of commercial real estate debt. Uh, basically, you've got 541 billion that came due last year. But, you know, a lot of. Um, Borrowers were able to kind of extend. Uh, they were able to kind of work out with some deals, but now you've got 2.2 trillion that's coming due between now and the end of 2027. So a lot more coming due. Um, let's see here. Le you know, lender losses on commercial property loans have started to increase and look poised to rise further. Uh, Fitch Ratings projects the delinquency rate on commercial mortgage loans that have been converted into securities will increase to 4.5% in 2024 and to 4.9% in 2025, more than doubling the 2.25% 2 rate in 2023 as of November. Retail, hotel, and office delinquencies are all expected to rise. While office building owners have been especially hard hit from remote and hybrid work, the damage to the commercial real estate sector is widespread. Vacancy rates are increasing in some multifamily markets, making it harder for many of those landlords to raise rents or make payments on floating rate debt. Industrial space, long the darling of Wall Street for its use as e-commerce hubs, is also showing signs of weakness. Um, so yes, so basically commercial property owners are hoping and praying that the Fed comes out and cuts rates and reduces uh, them very quickly uh, to basically kind of bail them out in a way as they have to refinance a lot of this debt that comes up. Uh, but uh, kind of brace yourself. I did an update on commercial real estate, particularly office properties uh, about a, you know, a week or so ago. So I tell everybody to go check that one out. But whew, 
that's that's an update. That's that man. That's just for uh, that's just for like one week, man. That's a lot, a lot going on, man. A lot happening. Okay, so I want to um, I want to pop out for a second here. I want to share one more thing with you guys before we're done here today. Uh, no, I didn't want to show that one. I want to share this one. Okay, let's allow this. Let's bring this in here. Okay, so. I did an episode on inflation a couple of weeks ago. This was a chart that I went in uh, a, a an account on X, formerly Twitter, uh, called Game of Trades had posted this and they got this. Their source for this was the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and Game of Trades. So I wanted to show this uh, because, again, this kind of hinted at what I was talking about, about inflation, about this setup here. So you could see the gray line is the historical chart of inflation through the 1970s, through 1980, into the early 80s. And you can see here that the inflation went up. Inflation kind of went up, spiked, came down, spiked again, came down, and spiked again for a third time, and then came back down. Now, if we chart 2013 to present, you can see the yellow line here. We are literally charting identical, identical to what happened in the 70s. And so now in roughly 1975, what happened here? I'll tell you what happened. The Federal Reserve cut the interest rates. They cut the interest rates because they thought the coast was clear and it caused a massive spike that was twice as big as the first one and and probably about 40% bigger than the second spike. And where are we at right now? Inflation's coming down, but what is the Federal Reserve about to do? They're about to start cutting interest rates. So could we be setting ourselves up for a massive spike, which could lead to the Fed having to increase interest rates the way that, that Volcker did back in the early 1980s when we saw a prime rate get up to 18.5%. Um, that would be catastrophic. And, the, and the, the subsequent recession that followed in 81 and 82 was one of the worst recessions that this country has ever seen. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people kind of forget about that now. Um, my father's business was actually ruined in the recession of 1981, 82. That's a story for another time. But, uh, but I, you know, as a kid, I very much lived the ramifications of, of what happened during a lot of this stuff. That's why... It's important to me to point this out and to warn that, hey, this is potentially a giant issue. And this is also why I do not want the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates. I want them to keep interest rates where they're at, despite the problems it may cause, because I want to prevent this. I want to prevent this massive upspike in potential inflation here, which could... Um, have dramatic ramifications on our, on our economy if it if it does. This all this chart also shows perfectly. It illustrates the point of what I've talked about many times now, and that is that inflation does not up, go does not go up or down in a straight line. Inflation has you know it 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 spikes and then it comes back down and it spikes again and it comes back down. Like this is this is what happens. And uh, there's a lot of factors that play into this of different things going on in the economy, but. Uh, it's just something I wanted to show everybody and wanted to point out. So, woo, 
So <laughs> a, lot, a lot of information, a lot of stuff, a lot of things going on. But I really hope you guys enjoyed this video today. I'll be back in the next coming weeks with a lot more stuff, a lot more stuff coming in. But I really hope if you if you liked and enjoyed this, please make sure to like, subscribe, uh, leave a comment below. I love getting back to everybody. Um, I think as I continue on this adventure uh, with this podcast, I think we are going to see some, some cool things coming about. Uh, Right now, I basically shoot these videos and I, I post what you see here gets posted onto the, the podcast platform. Um, I do think that over time, there will become some divergence between some of the things that get put on the podcast versus some of the things that end up on, like, say, YouTube or Rumble and the main channel. So um, that stuff will continue to unfold. Like I'm, I'm doing some research on a, on a bank crash right now, which... Uh, and after really doing it, I, it's not going to be able to be, to be posted on, um, YouTube or rumble. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to post this thing just on the podcast, uh, platform just because of some of the crazy things that happen in this story. So, but, um, but I, I don't know if I'm going to get that out next week. I'm really going to try to, but it might have to wait till February, but you know, we'll see what, what comes with that. But, uh, but again, a lot of great stuff coming in the next week or so. I hope everybody's enjoying and loving the podcast. Like I said, please spread the word, please share, like, and subscribe. It always helps. And I will see everybody again next weekend until then have a wonderful week. See everybody.